Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? You you all look wonderful, I gotta tell you that. Uh, It's true, Um, but my name is Mike Burnage, and it is my great pleasure to be with you this morning as I had lunch with Larry on Thursday. Larry Anderson, he's been a longtime friend of mine, and and, uh, we were talking a little bit about being here today, and I said, Larry, I promise I'll leave the place still standing when you get back here. So our our guys are having a great time up there, but it's my honor to be with you. Someone asked me out in the hallway where I'm from. I talk a little fast, so you know, get get ready. I'm I'm from Chicago. I spent my first 21 years in Chicago. Uh, My next 21 years I spent in Dallas, Texas, and I've been here in Phoenix, Arizona for the last 22 years. So if you pick up a pattern, every 20 years I move somewhere hotter. And uh, and there's only one place hotter than Phoenix, and as a pastor, I don't want to go there. Uh, You don't either as well. But guys, it's great to be with you uh, today. And we're going to talk about a really, really neat topic this morning that I I think everybody assumes, uh, but nobody really thinks through. So we're going to talk about that. And to kind of set up today's topic, I've got a test for you. You know, I've always heard that the people at North Bible Church are very, very smart. And and, and I want to find out for myself. So I've got a test for you. I'm going to give you five questions, and I have them listed in your worship folder in in your outline there. So pull that out there. We're going to put them up behind. I'm going to read these five questions through. It's all on the subject of coffee. So it's kind of like Jeopardy. We have a category here. The subject of coffee, five questions for you. And and, uh, so we'll go through them, and then we'll go through them one at a time here. So here's the first question I'm going to ask you. Number one is this. How many of us, if we represent all adults in America, what percentage of us in this room uh, have had at least one cup of coffee in the last month? Okay, so so, uh, how many Americans, what percentage of American adults have had at least one cup of coffee in the last month? So the second question I have for you is this. Coffee as a beverage. Now, the coffee plant's been around forever, but coffee as a beverage was first created around what time? Was it created around the time of Christ about 2,000 years ago or Secondly, was it created about the time of the American Civil War, about 200 years ago? Or was it created in the ninth century? So that's kind of question number two. Uh, question number three, is this true or false? Coffee was once formally banned uh, by the Christian church. Was it true or is it false? Was it formally banned by the Christian church? Question four is this, the Starbucks spice pumpkin latte uh, was invented by someone from Stanford University. And so there's four possibilities. Was it a Stanford uh, educated chemist? Was it a Stanford uh, educated nutritionist? Or was it a Stanford educated basketball player? Or was it a Stanford educated physician? physician, doctor. And then the last question I have for you is this on coffee. Uh, uh, Starbucks, in last year, in May of last year, they announced that they had missed quarterly projections eight out of nine quarters in a row. And so they came up with a very bold new strategy, and it was based on which one of these three things. Either they're going to expand their menu, could it be that, or is there a growth strategy to build more drive-throughs, or is it to copy the Dutch Brothers uh, vibe, kind of the Dutch Brothers culture, okay? So those are the five questions. Exchange papers, no, you don't have to do that one uh, on this. Let's go back and see how you did on this. First one, uh, let's do, by raise of hands, how many of you have had a cup of coffee in the last month? Would you raise your hands? Okay, how many of you have not? Any non-coffee drinkers? Hey, non-coffee, I'm one of you. I, I have not had a, 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 my lips are pure, okay? So a few of us out there. But here's the number, 83% of American adults have had at least one cup of coffee in the last month and 64% in the past 24 hours. So that's why, you know, I expect you coffee drinkers to stay awake for the whole sermon this morning uh, on that one. So question number two, let's look at this one. Coffee as a beverage was first created around, uh, the answer is the ninth century in Ethiopia. In fact, 
Great story behind this is Ethiopian goat herders uh, were out watching their goats in, in the pastures of Ethiopia, and they noticed that their goats were eating uh, berries or, or, or beans off a coffee tree, this particular tree, and they noticed that when the goats ate these particular beans off the tree is they started doing this weird dance. And so the goat uh, herders decided, hey, let's try that. So they, they took it, they ground it up, they turned it into a drink, and I guess they started doing a weird dance or something too. But anyway, that's how we got coffee. Dates back to the ninth century uh, in Ethiopia. Here's question number three. How do we do in this one? True or false, coffee was once formally banned uh, in the Christian church. How many said true? Yeah, how many said false? Okay, the answer is true. Yeah, in, in fact, in the 1500s, coffee was banned uh, in, in the Christian church. And then, you'll love this story, in 1600, Pope Clement, uh, the, actually it should be Pope Clement VIII, he tasted it, he loved it, and this is a true story. He baptized bean, coffee beans, and ever since then, people have been awake at church ever since. Right on that one? So that's number three. Number four is this. Uh, the Starbucks pumpkin latte was invented in 2003 by a Stanford University basketball player. His name was Peter Dukes, uh, and so that's number four. But here's number five, and this is going to take us into our topic this morning. Question number five is this. What is Starbucks' primary growth strategy going forward? It's this, to open up stores with more drive-through windows. In fact, about a year ago, uh, what, Stan what Starbucks did is they noticed that coffee sales were flattening out and declining in their stores, and so they analyzed why are some stores doing great and some are doing terrible, and here's what they found. They found out that in stores that had a drive-through window, 70% of their sales were going through the drive-through window. And they also discovered that stores that had a drive-through window were making two-thirds more profits than those who didn't have a drive-through window. And so their strategy is beginning in 2018 and on, 80% of all stores they open up are going to have a drive-through window. Now, what did Starbucks discover a year ago? They discovered this, that when it comes to coffee, of, uh, uh, accessibility is a really big deal. When it comes to coffee, being approachable, being able, to, being able to get what you want, where you want, when you want it, is a big deal. And it's important to remove as many obstacles as possible. Well, guys, Starbucks discovered that a year ago, but Jesus discovered and espoused that over 2,000 years ago. One of the things we know about Jesus is Jesus is constantly talking to his disciples about how do you make me more approachable? How do you make me more accessible? Why? Because Jesus was approachable and he was accessible and he calls upon his followers to be approachable and accessible as well. And I'm going to start this morning by reading to you a neat little passage found in Mark chapter 10 verse 13. And one of the things that, that I've done as a pastor for many years, and Larry's done it, and so many others uh, pastors that is we've done these baby dedications, and typically we read this passage at a baby dedication. And let me let's read it to you, Mark 10, 13. It says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. One of the very few times in the Bible, it talks about Jesus being indignant. He's indignant over the fact that the disciples rebuked people bringing their babies to Jesus to have Jesus put hands on them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Friends, for so often we read this passage and we think that, hey, listen, Jesus says that children are a big deal to God, and they really are. But we miss another big theme that this passage talks about and other passages in the New Testament talk about as well, and that's that Jesus wants to be highly approachable, not highly unapproachable. And so we're going to talk about that topic this morning. The next 20, 25 minutes we have together, we're going to talk about how can we become approachable like Jesus? How can our church, North Bible Church, be an approachable church? 
How can we as followers of Jesus be approachable? And why is that important? Because Jesus said it's important to him, and if it's important to him, it's got to be important to us as well. If you're taking notes this morning, inside your worship folder, I've got that outline, and our five points I want to share with you spell the word smart, S-M-A-R-T. So five ways that God's people can be more approachable just like Jesus was. Here's the first thing I'm gonna have you write down. Number one is this, is to be more approachable, the first thing you must do is you must send signals that invite. We must send signals that invite. Now, now, um, I realize this is kind of a controversial topic to talk about, but I have a confession to make to you, uh, is that when I was a little kid, I trick-or-treated. I know sometimes in churches they go, ooh, I don't know about that Pastor Mike. He trick-or-treated as a kid or whatever. But when I would, when I would go trick-or-treating, uh, one of the things I would realize is my neighbors were sending signals. And I had one neighbor that, that would uh, uh, turn his porch light on, and then he and his wife would dress up in costumes. They would put a table out in front in their driveway filled with bowls of candy, and, and, and they had music playing. Right next to that neighbor, though, was another neighbor, and their lights were all off in their house, their, the porch light wasn't on, and there was a sign in the front yard that said something like, beware of pit bull, okay? Two neighbors, same street, same night, both sending different messages. Message number one was, you are welcome, come here. Message number two was, you're not wel- welcome, steer clear. Well, guys, in our interactions that we have with people is we are sending messages all the time. We're either saying, come here or steer clear. One of the things we know that when we see Jesus is Jesus constantly sent signals that said, come here. And Jesus sent two kind of signals. Signal number one is that Jesus sent what I call overt signals to invite people. Now, when you send an an overt signal, some of you are here today because someone gave you an overt signal. What that means is somebody verbally invited you to come near, to come here to North Bible Church. That's true of your friends and your neighbors. Is one of the things we can do is we can verbally invite people into a relationship. And listen to what Jesus did, Matthew 4, 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Guys, as Jesus began his three-and-a-half-year public ministry on earth, he began it by recruiting a team of people. And what did he do? He sent signals that invited people to come and follow him. Some said yes, some said no. A little bit later, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 11, 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. So one way that Jesus sent signals to people was he did it overtly. He did it verbally. But guys, Jesus says not only do you need to send verbal signals, you need to send nonverbal ones. You need to be overt and covert when you invite people to come into a relationship with Jesus. And what do covert signals look like? Well, some of them are are so obvious that we miss them all the time. And if you're taking notes, I'd love you to write these covert uh, uh, signs that we send out that invite people to come into a relationship with us and our Jesus. Okay, first word I want you to write down is the word smile. This may sound like a no-brainer, but you'd be shocked how many people, how many followers of Jesus Christ neglect to smile at the people that God puts in their path. I love what, what Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the most famous atheists of all time, said is uh, Nietzsche was the guy who, who first pay, uh, coined the term God is dead. Uh, and, and, but listen to what he said one time in one of his journals. He said, I might believe more in the Redeemer if his followers look more redeemed. 
Later on, he would write, you know what I'm talking about there is, I see all these people who profess to follow Jesus, but boy, they, don't, they sure don't look very happy. There's not a smile on their face. And I would think if I had been redeemed, I would look like it. Guys, one of the most important things we can do is to smile. In fact, Orbit Complete did a study uh, not long ago where they wanted to find out what do people find attractive in another another person. How can I be more attractive to people? And they were talking more physically. Here's what they found. They found out that 66% of men and 73% of women believe that a smile makes you more attractive than if you're wearing makeup. And so, so friends, if if you're running behind for church sometime and you think, oh, I don't have time to put makeup on, that's okay. Just come to church and smile a lot. Why? Because smiling tells people I'm approachable. Guys, you've seen that at a restaurant, haven't you? Where, where there, there's, uh, you look around and, and, and someone looks over and they smile at you. What is this? It says they're approachable, they're accessible. Here's a second thing I want you to write down in this first point. Number two is eye contact. Eye contact's a big, uh, a big deal. In fact, one of the things the New Testament repeatedly talks about Jesus about is it talks about, and Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And Jesus looked at them and Jesus looked at her. Eye contact is a really big deal. My, my wife Mary's uh, here in this service today, and, and she was talking to me this past week about, about a, a, an experience she had in church at, at, at uh, the church I pastored for 23 years, Northridge Community Church, uh, a week or two ago. And she said a, a certain person walked by her who, who she's met a few times, but she says he looked the other ways. And he's, she said and it's the third time he's done that in three weeks. Now, guys, the reality, there's probably nothing personal about that, but you know what it is? Is when you and I don't make contact with the people, eye contact with the people in our path, you know what it does? It inadvertently sends the message that we are unapproachable. Steer clear, don't come near. In fact, a fascinating study was done in 2013 at Cornell University. Uh, and they have a, a fascinating, they're called the Consumer Products Lab. And, and what they do is they test the psychology of certain products. And they tested trick cereal. In fact, I got a picture up here. Uh, and, and they tested two different boxes of trick cereal. Now, if you go to the cereal uh, uh, aisle in the grocery store, tricks isn't on the top shelf and it's not on the bottom shelf. It's about two thirds the way up from the bottom. And they tested these two packages. Now, if you look at them, they look almost identical, don't they? But there's one little difference. What is it? Yeah, the eyes are just a little bit different. Here's what they found. They found because it's two-thirds the way up on the cereal aisle is the people who make the decision to buy tricks are not the adults, they're the kids. And when little kids walk down the aisle, the, the picture on the right, the, the trick cereal box on the right, is, is basically the eyes are staring over the head of the kids. They're not looking at them. And so the other box, the one on the left, that's got the eyes looking down at a nine-degree a- angle, that sold 16% more boxes of cereal than the one on the right. That's the only difference between them. And what it does is this. It tells us that when we make eye contact with the people God puts in our path, you know what it does? It makes them feel connected to us, us feel connected to them. It makes us feel more approachable to other people and accessible to them. Third thing I want you to write down under this first point real quick is this, is ask questions and advice. You want to be more approachable? Then ask strangers for advice. Ask them questions. In John chapter 4, there's a wonderful story about Jesus, a Jew, meeting the Samaritan woman who's a Samaritan. And one of the things we know, if you grew up in Sunday school class, you know that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. In fact, they didn't even talk to each other. And so what does Jesus do to show that he's approachable? He walks up to her and he asks her this question, can I have a drink of water? 
And it sparks a conversation with them and goes from a conversation to a relationship where this woman's going to put her trust in Jesus Christ for her eternal destiny. What did he do? He went ahead and he asked a question. Same thing with us. When we ask questions or advice, it makes us more approachable to people. A fourth thing you can write down, I'm not going to touch on this one, but just uh, open doors. And this has to do more in, in the office environment. Uh, one of the things I've done after 23 years, I've moved to a new office where I don't know anybody. And so what I'm, I'm concentrating on doing is leaving my office door open all the time. And, and friends, I did this. This was brilliant on my part. I'm so proud of myself. I, I, I bought a big bowl and I fill it with, with uh, uh, York peppermint patties. And it's on my desk. And so all day long, I have strangers coming in and out of my office stealing my candy. Isn't that a great idea? Well, what's it, it's, it's announcing to people, it's, man, I'm, I want to be approachable. I want to be accessible to you. And the final word I want you to write down under this first point uh, is the word warm gestures. Warm gestures. You know, one of the things we did a little while ago, and, and we know that some people hate this about church, is, is a little while ago we had people uh, stand up and greet each other. And I know that's hard. And you know who that's the most difficult for? It's, it's most difficult for the person who's new. But guys, it's important because one of the things we know is that when you extend a warm gesture, whether it be a handshake, a hug, a fist bump, whatever it might be, is it communicates to that person that you're approachable, you're accessible. In fact, the great story of uh, the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15 talks about that. And what happens in, in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, uh, the son who's made a mess of his life is asking himself, is, will my dad be approachable or not? If I go back to him and I've made a mess of his life, I've disrespected him, is he going to be receptive? Listen to what it says, Luke 15, 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, and it adds this, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And friends, at that point, the son knew, you know what? Dad's approachable. He's, access he's accessible. And so first thing God wants us to know is this. You want to be a, a, approachable as a person, as a parent, as a neighbor, as a, a co-worker, as a church? It starts out by sending signals that invite both covert as well as overt. Here's the second thing I want you to write down, though. And number two is this, is God's guys become approachable. Number two, when they mingle with the masses and the messes. When they mingle with the masses and the messes. You know, when, you're mingle, when you mingle with someone, it means that you meet, gather, or blend with other people. Uh, back a long time ago, I was in a PhD program in marriage and family therapy, but back then you had to have a minor in a doctoral program. Now, mine was sociology. And I learned from my old sociology uh, program back then that, that when it comes to mingling, uh, you can either be what's called heterogeneous or homogeneous. And homogeneous means that you want to mingle and hang out and gather with people who are just like you. It means that, you know, if you're a Republican, you only want to hang out with Republicans. If you're a Democrat, I just want to hang with the Democrats. If you're a, a guy, you want to go to Man Weekend. That's your favorite weekend of the year. If you're a girl, you want to do... It, is, it means that there's a propensity for us to hang out, to mingle with people who are just like us. But guys, the most successful, inviting, approachable people don't just hang out with people like them. They hang out with people who aren't like them. Now, even there, you can hang out with two different groups. You can hang out with those people who are above you, or you can hang out with those people who are below you. But here's what made Jesus so special. Jesus was an equal opportunity mingler. He mingled up, and he mingled down. He mingled with, with everyone. In fact, um, one of the things you, you find out about Jesus is, is that if you're going to be like Jesus, there are two different groups that are not always the easiest to mingle with, but Jesus did. And one is he mingled with the masses, and secondly, he mingled with the messes. 
In fact, the Bible tells us 127 times uh, the word crowd or multitude is used. In one place, it's Luke 5, verse 1. It says this. It says, so it, was as the multi- so it was as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught, get this word again, the multitudes from the boat. Two different times the word multitude is used there and what it tells us there is that hey listen is I get the fact that sometimes it's no fun being in the crowd sometimes crowds drive you crazy but Jesus says listen if I'm gonna be approachable I've got to be out among the people you know one of the things I love about your pastor Larry Anderson is Larry gets that it is uh, when churches are, I can't tell you how many pastors I know as soon as they're done preaching they sneak off out, out of the back room or into their office is hey when, when church is done with, with, with Larry Larry's out hanging out he's, he's drinking coffee he's saying, saying hi to you guys that's important and it's important not just for pastors it's important for all of us that hey if we're going to be the kind of church the kind of people that are approachable we've got to be willing to mingle with the masses but not just the masses the one that's even harder is you've got to be willing to mingle with the messes the people whose lives aren't all together. In fact, Luke 4, 18, this is Jesus talking about himself. He's, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What all of those uh, people that are described in that passage have in common is they're not considered the cool kids, they're considered the messes. And what does Jesus do? He says you've got to mingle not just with the masses, but with the messes in particular. Jesus loved the, the poor, not just the rich. He loved the powerless, not just the powerful. He loved the sick, not just the, uh, the, the healthy. I love the song we just sang right before I, I came up here. I've never heard that song before, but I, I love it when I talked about the love of Jesus. He loves the homeless as well as the famous and everybody in between. And perhaps biggest of all, he loves the big-time sinners as well as the big-time winners. In fact, the number one thing Jesus is going to be criticized for by the religious professionals is that he was mingling with the messes. In fact, listen to what it says, Luke 15, 1, which is the passage that the story of the, the prodigal son's in, the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. It's all set up by these two verses, Luke 15, 1. It says, now the tax collector and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Friends, one of the things God calls North Bible Church to be, one of the things you guys are and do very well, and I know it from your ministries where, where you go out and you do your, 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 your North Bible cares, where you go out into the community, is you are saying it's important that we mingle not just with the masses or the cool people, but we mingle with the messes as well. Well, there's a third thing I want you to write down. Number three is this. First of all, we said, hey, you want to be a, a church that's approachable, you want to be a person that's approachable, uh, is that you've got to send signals uh, that invite. Uh, and, and we said then the second thing you, you have to do is you've got to mingle with the masses and the messes. And the third thing you have to do is this. You have to add more margin to your life. You have to add more margin to your life. Now, this concept of margin uh, is something I first heard about uh, about 20 years ago or so. Uh, there was a, a, a friend of ours, in fact, uh, uh, Sharon and, and Ben Smith, part of the, the North Bible Church family, is Ben once told me about a book called Margin, written by a guy named Dr. Richard Swenson. And what Swenson did is he recognized is that his life was a mess. It was just packed with things. 
And Swenson got to thinking about, you know, when you open up a book, even your Bible, you open up the Bible, there are two limits in a book page. Limit number one is the edge. There's only so many words in, in uh, font size 10 or whatever it is. There's only so many words you can get on a page before you go off the edge of the page. But he says that the, Swenson recognized, but there's a second limit on a page of a book. One is the edge, but the second one is called the margin. And the margin is the white space around the edges, which allows addition. As some of you have Bibles here, here and, and you write something in the margin. Is If you don't have that margin, you can't write that in there. Well, Swenson said, listen, your life is like a page in a book. Is you only have 24 hours in a day. That's, that's the edge of the page. That's the edge of your, your, your life. You can't add more than that. But the question is, is do you have any unscheduled time in your 24 hours a day? And you know, when I, I, when I looked at that, I thought, man, not much. And if you don't have any, any unscheduled time or, or much unscheduled time, is guess what's going to happen when people cross your path who have real needs? It's going to be very difficult for you to send the message to them that you're approachable, that you're available, that you're accessible. You're going to need more margin in your life. You know, when we're too busy, it creates three hazards. Number one, it becomes hazardous to our health. Second thing that happens is it compromises our calling. You have to do, uh, you're doing so many good things, you don't have time to do the best things that God has for you. And the final thing it does is it rocks your relationships with God and with other people when you get too busy. Probably the greatest example of that in the Bible is the story when Jesus went to the house of Mary and Martha. Remember that great story? And, and here's what it says, Luke 10, 40. It says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do uh, the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So busyness now has Martha in a strained relationship with her sister Mary. But look at what happens. He says, um, Lord, don't you care? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. What Jesus is saying is this, is Martha, if you get too busy, you know what's going to do? It's going to mess up your relationship with your sister, but you know what else? It's messing up your relationship with me. And guys, that's true of us too. When we get too busy that there's no unscripted margin, no unscripted uh, or unscheduled space in our life, is we are sending the message loud and clear, hey, listen, yeah, we like you, we love you, but we're too busy to, to be, have any kind of meaningful involvement in your life. So here's the question. Is your busyness making you unapproachable? Is it? Guys, I gotta tell you something. It is one of the things that I am embarrassed about. When I look through the 23 years uh, that I served as lead pastor at uh, Northridge Community Church here, I'm embarrassed about how many times someone would come up to me and have a conversation and they would preface it respectfully, but they, they would preface it like, Mike, I know how busy you are, but I wanted to know if I could ask you a question. Guys, uh, the reality is, is sure I was busy, but when people are, that's the first thing they notice, it means, you know what, there's a chance you're too busy and you don't have enough free time. You don't have enough margin. You may need to add more margin in your life. I need to, my guess is many of you do as well. Number four is this. You wanna go ahead and be more approachable. I love this one. You gotta regularly reveal the true you. Approachable people regularly reveal the true you. Um, you know, there's three kinds of people in, in the world, and man, there's three kinds of people in the church. And, and if you're taking notes, these three things to write down. Number one, there are people that I call concealers, okay? You know, concealers is, man, you can sit next to them in church every Sunday for 20 years. You can work next to them, their desk, your office right next to you for 20 years. And you know what? At the end of, of 20 years, you say, man, I don't really know much about this person. And their life's a closed book, and, and they, don't, they don't reveal anything. They conceal everything. Well, guys, there are people uh, in churches that are like that. 
Secondly, there are people that I don't call the, 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 the concealers, I call them the unrealers. You know what those people are like? The unrealers, if, if you don't know what that's like, look on some people's Facebook pages. And, and what the unrealers do is they share the good stuff, and they may even embellish it, but they never share the bad stuff. They never share the sins they're struggling with. They never share uh, the, the discouragement they're feeling. They never share the failures uh, they've experienced. They're, they're presenting an unreal picture of themselves. You know, back probably... Uh, 40 years ago or so, Mary and I, my, my wife, uh, w- went to a, a conference, and, and it was a guy who was a big-name Christian speaker at the time, and he was going around the nation doing all these seminars, and man, he was just huge at the time. And about halfway through the conference, I turned to Mary and said, I- I'm just not relate to this guy. And she said, why? And I said, have you noticed that every single illustration he's given for the last two days, every single illustration goes like this. This person was messed up. I told him to do that. They followed my advice, and now they're living happily ever after. He never shared a failure, never shared a personal struggle, and I thought, I can't relate to this guy. I can't relate to someone who's an unrealer. But you know who I can relate to? I can relate to someone like Jesus who's a revealer. And what a revealer does is he or she shares the good stuff, but also the bad stuff. They share the victories, but they also share the defeats. They share the successes, but they also share the failures as well. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus was a revealer. You know, when you're a true revealer, when you share people not only the good but the bad of life, four things happen. Number one, you become more credible. I believe people who aren't perfect. I don't believe people who tell me they're perfect. Second thing that happens is you you become more relaxed. You don't have to devote all your time and energy into trying to put up a facade that you've got it all together. You become more likable. I like people who are imperfect. And the final thing, you become more approachable. I like what John Ortberg, pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian, once said. He said, we are drawn to people with unveiled faces. You want to be more approachable? Then do what Jesus, reveal the true you. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 26, 37. He's in the garden. Remember, Jesus is perfect. He's, not, he's, he's a man without sin. He's fully God, fully human. But listen to what he says. Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Guys, it's not a sin. It's not a bad thing to reveal the true you. It's a good thing. Jesus did it. One last thing I want to share with you, and then we'll review at the end. Last thing that you need to know, if you want to be someone who attracts people, who uh, is approachable to people, uh, someone who points people to Jesus by being accessible, this last thing's important, and that's this. You can turn the positive up and the negative down. You can turn the positive up and the negative down. Now, if I gave you the choice of, hey, listen, you've got to spend a day uh, with one of two people, and, and person number one is incredibly negative, they're critical, they're going to spend all day long telling you what's wrong with you, or person number two is someone who's profoundly positive. They're going to affirm you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to build you up. They're going to look at what's right, not what's wrong with the situation. Who are you going to pick to spend a whole day with? You're going to do the same as I. I want to hang out with the positive person, not the negative person. And guys, the Bible doesn't ask us in true relationships to never speak the truth to people, but it tells us to speak the truth in love. It tells us to, to combine both grace and as well as truth in the lives of people. But one of the things God's word reminds us is, man, it is important for us, if we're going to be approachable, if we're going to be a church that's accessible to people, we've got to turn the positive up and the negative down. In fact, a study was done not long ago, and I can't remember, remember who did it, but, but fairly easy to find online. Where They asked people who don't go to church, uh, if you were to describe the evangelical church today in, in a word, what would it be? You know what the number one word that was given was the word hypocritical. 
and judgmental. The number two word that was used was anti-homosexual. Those were the top two words that people who are outside the church picked to describe the church. And guys, perhaps part of the reason for that is the church for too long has maybe emphasized the negative and not the positive. And some people now in the church have gone the other extreme where, where, where they throw out all truth whatsoever, and that's not a good, good solution either. But when it comes to emphasis, one of the things we can do to become more engaging, more approachable, is to turn the positive up, the negative down. Listen to how Jesus did that. Matthew 26, 7, famous story. The woman's going to come, uh, Mary's going to come, and she's going to anoint Jesus' head uh, before he goes to, to the cross. Matthew 26, 7 says this. A woman came to Jesus with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Remember, Jesus got indignant when, uh, when, when they tried to make him unapproachable. Uh, the, the disciples got indignant when, when she approached him. Here's what they said. Why this waste, they asked. And then we know the story goes on to say this perfume could have been sold, the money given to the poor. Here's what Jesus said. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Guys, we're at the same event the same woman is there, the same, uh, they're watching this anointing, and some people turn up the negative. Why is she doing this? They, she could have sold this and given the money to the poor. But what Jesus does is he turns up the positive, and he says this, he says that what this woman has done is a beautiful thing to me. Be that kind of person to the people that come into your life. So what do we learn today? Today we've learned is, is, listen, is that Jesus says, I want to be approachable, and I want my followers to be approachable, and I want, I want them to make, other, make me approachable to other people. That's what we've learned. And we learned that there's five ways that Jesus told us we can do that. First, spells the word smart. We learned, first of all, that you and I have a choice. Are we going to send signals that invite? Are they going to be covert, or, or, or are they going to be overt, or, or both? But are we sending signals that invite people into a relationship with us and our Savior? Second thing we, we learned this morning is this, is that it's important that we mingle, not just with people like us or people above us, but we've got to mingle with the masses and the messes if we're going to be a truly inviting, encouraging type of people. Third thing we saw is this, most of us are too busy, I'm too busy. And so we've got to add more margin to our life, so we send the message that we're available to our friends and neighbors if they have a, a, an issue. Third thing is we don't want to be concealers, we don't want to be unrealers, but we need to be like Jesus, regularly reveal the true you. And the final thing we saw is this, is how do we turn up the positive and turn down the negative by being people that speak the truth in love and affirm the other people that God brings into our life. You know, in, in closing, uh, I want to tell you one last uh, study I came across. It was done, uh, pulled one poll in, in the United Kingdom in 2015, and they wanted to find out what makes the best boss. So they asked 1,000 people, hey, if you were to pick, uh, you know, what do you look for in a great boss? Here's what they came up with. Uh, number five, 33% said, I need a boss I can trust. One out of three said, that's important to me. A boss that shows me appreciation came in at number four, 36%. Uh, a boss who's supportive of me came in number three. Number two was a boss who treats me with respect, 46%. But look at what the number one answer in a secular audience was. What do you look for in a boss? 53%, more than half, said, I need someone who's approachable. Guys, what our world needs is they need followers of Jesus. They need churches that are highly approachable. And I know North Bible Church is just such a church. Let me pray, and then we'll turn things over to Kristen. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful time with this wonderful group of people. I've had such a, a, a great affection and affinity for North Bible Church for many, many years. I thank you so much for uh, its people, its leaders, and its pastor, my friend Larry. 
God, I pray that as, uh, as North Bible Church begins this new season that you have laid out in front of them with the transitions and succession, something we've just been through in our own church fairly recently, is that you will help this church and guard this church in their ability to be a church that is constantly approachable, constantly accessible to people that need your son Jesus. God, I pray this week that you'll help all of us to apply these five principles we looked at and that we'll smile more and realize that we're not uh, being frivolous when we do that, is that we're sending signals out that we love and care for people. I pray that you'll help us uh, this week, Father, to be uh, people who, who aren't so busy that we don't have time to the people that you put in our path. I pray, pray, Father, that you'll help us to be courageous and that we will uh, regularly review, reveal the true us and that we'll let people know both the good and the bad, the stuff we're doing right and the stuff we're doing wrong, and take that risk. And finally, Father, I pray that you'll help all of us to turn the positive up and the negative down. And we thank you so much for the example that you sent us through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.